Well, we want to reinforce what Gus said at the end of that video, that we have this Gate City journey for new members. And it's the first time we've done it in the way that we're doing it right now. So if you have been interested in Gate City as your home church, you haven't yet made a decision to become a member yet, or you have decided to become a member, the starting place is the same. We want you to come to our guest reception next week. And then if you have made the decision, hopefully all of you will, if you have made the decision to become a new member at Gate City, you'll continue on with three other classes as a part of that journey all through this coming month of August. So if you have been a part of Gate City for the last few weeks or months and you wanna get plugged in as a member, that is your way to start. So today we're doing our closing session on the series that we've been in over the past, gosh, close to seven weeks now, I believe, on the church in and culture. And so we are gonna have another panel discussion. Last week, we covered subjects, a panel discussion on the subjects that we covered at the beginning of this series. We discussed really issues of identity. We talked about race and sexuality and had a powerful conversation with this group plus Dustin and Son. And this week, we are adding Olivia to our panel. And for those, yes, Olivia Gonzalez. So wonderful to have you up here. And she already introduced herself, Rolando, and, and she introduced themselves. But for those who are new in the room or watching on live stream, perhaps for the first time, we have Ash Bolden with us also, who is our pastor of Community Life, fresh off a week of vacation. And of course, staycation. And of course, my lovely wife, Hannah Stevens, who is our HR director. So you did a nice job today opening the service and transitioning us in prayer. It was powerful. I was, I was feeling that moment of worship and just declaring the blessing of God over our generations. What a great way to enter into this conversation today on the subjects of life, politics, and materialism to think about the things that bind us together as spiritual family above all else. So as we transition into this conversation, I'm going to recap briefly for us in just a moment, but let's pray that our hearts would be open to hear what the Lord has to say to us this morning. So let's just join together in a moment of prayer. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to have a meaningful conversation led by you and from your word together as a family on these important issues of discipleship. Lord, we wanna be obedient as followers of Christ. We wanna connect our hearts to you and to your vision for our nation, for our wealth, for issues of life, God. And so we pray today that the Holy Spirit would come be the teacher. Lord, we want the instruction and wisdom of heaven over any person's opinion. And so God, we stand here in great need of the wisdom of God in this hour. And we ask you, Lord, to speak to us. We trust not in our own understanding, but we lean upon you, Lord. And we choose to trust in you today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So I just want to remind us a few things. We've said these regularly over the last few weeks, but it, it's so powerful to review these principles of how we want to engage in this conversation First, we want to define the conversation always by what we are for. 
The things we are for is, as Gate City Church. We are for the equipping of the church's disciples, for the walking out of kingdom values, and for actively pursuing unity within the body. And above all else, if you hear nothing else today, we are for devotion to the person of Jesus and living a life that truly is what is spoken of in the Sermon on the Mount. Lifestyles that are a city on a hill, not hidden under a basket. Lifestyles that are salt and light that do not lose our potency or flavor. And so we as a people who are for the kingdom of God, we need to avoid some pitfalls in these complicated cultural conversations. And I'll just review them again very quickly. A couple of the pitfalls are to get offended in the conversation because someone doesn't share our point of view. To oversimplify some of these complex issues and to go to one extreme or the other in our position and to think, whether it's in the issues of how we spend our money or uh, how we engage politically, that one thing is good and one thing is bad simply because that's, that's the opinion that we have. You know, an oversimplification would be the idea that for some reason wealth is good and, and in some, for some reason that, uh, that not having money is, is, a, is a, a blessing and having wealth is a negative thing. Those are oversimplifications of things that the Bible has a lot to say about. And so we'll get into some other examples of how we want to avoid oversimplification. Sometimes because things are complex, we tend to avoid them. It just burns calories, right, for us to think about these things. And we've got enough challenges in life without thinking about these complex cultural issues. But what do you do when the conversation about sexuality or race comes home to your family and your dinner table, are you prepared as a disciple to answer your children's question about fill in the blank? And so that's why it becomes super important for us to not avoid these conversations, but to engage with them. And then of course, fear and anger. And so offense, oversimplification, avoidance, fear, anger, these are the pitfalls we wanna avoid. And the simple thought that I wanted to give us as a spiritual family in how to practically avoid these things is in every way we wanna cultivate empathy in our hearts even to the person that is different than us. We want to be willing to say, I disagree with you, but I have a heart of love towards you because the Bible commands me to love even the people that are most different from me, which are always our enemies, right? Those are the people that are actively opposing us and the Bible calls us to love them with a generous heart. And so in the same way we can be confident, if we're called to love our enemies, we're definitely called to love somebody with a difference of opinion. So today we're gonna to jump in now to this conversation and really we decided to open it up on the subject of life because I think there's this interesting intersection between the recent overturning of Roe versus Wade, how that's pushed the conversation about life to the forefront, the sanctity of life, which we're for as a spiritual family unequivocally. We are for the sanctity of life and uh, we are for the overturning of abortion. And we wanna say that unapologetically, but that's not all we're for. We're also for the family and for uh, women who are single moms or single dads being supported in their care for the, uh, as a primary caregiver for their children. And we'll talk a little more about what that means to be, to be pro-life from the womb to the tomb. And then uh, certainly these things segue into how we view the political world around us and 
if you know anything about the debate and discussion of life, many of the arguments come back to economic arguments that undermine the decision to support and protect life in our nation. So there's a thread within all of these things, and we're going to try and tie it together in a nice little bow in the next 45 minutes. Y'all pray for us. All right, good. So with that, I'm going to share just a, a short testimony on the issue of life. And Ash did a wonderful job two weeks ago sharing vulnerably from his own testimony, and I know Ash's story, and it's so powerful. You know, it's one thing to think about the redemption that God does in people's lives, you know, that you would be our family life pastor and the journey that you've gone on with your own family. And, and you, I would get, give it to you to recap that at some point as you, as you see fit. But uh, so powerful to hear firsthand the impact of issues of life and abortion that you're not discussing it in theory. You set the conversation based on your own experience, and I want to thank you for that vulnerability. And in light of that, I want to share, I've, I've uh, never experienced a, an abortion in our family or in any aspect of, of my previous life, but my own family, extended family, has been touched by it in rather tragic ways. And so even though I don't have firsthand experience personally, uh, we... Uh, have experienced the impact of it in our family. But I want to share that even though you may not have been impacted in a personal way by the issue of of abortion, God still has a plan and has a heart that you can connect to even if you don't have a personal testimony related to that issue. And I I just want to share just so briefly how God did that for me. I had this, uh, we were in New England at a conference. And you ever have those times where somebody preaches and it's just so stirring Maybe a time or two when I've preached. It's so stirring that it just, I'm just being silly, but it, it makes you go, I want to know God more. And I heard a preacher preach a message that just put me in the, in the depth of my soul into a place of longing. And I remember going back to the dorm room I was staying in at, at, at this conference and just just for a, a good solid hour or two, just crying out to the Lord, Lord, I want to know you. I want to know what's on your heart. And I prayed it so deeply, and, and it, surprisingly, we transitioned from the conference to this, to this church summit that was actually in the city of Boston, and we're at this Unity Church gathering, and it's a solemn assembly kind of prayer meeting, and, and pastors are praying from all across the city. The very next day, we're there after I spent this evening in prayer, and they get ready to wrap up the prayer meeting, and I just remember the Lord saying, you asked me last night for, for what's on my heart, and I want to give it to you. You should not let them leave this prayer meeting without addressing the issue of of praying for the sanctity of life and praying for the ending of abortion. And it's in the final third of this prayer meeting. I'm a young guy. I'm in my early 20s. It's like 2008, right? My wife says I always get numbers wrong, but I I think that's right. It was 2008, and I was in my early 20s, and and I just remember having this profound conviction uh, that we are not to leave this gathering Uh, without, so I think I was 22 or 23 years old at the time, we are not to leave this gathering without praying over this issue. And there's several hundred people there and, and, you know, dozens of prominent leaders. And I went to the the person who was overseeing the entire event and I went to him and I said, hey, I just want to submit this to you. I feel like we're not supposed to leave without addressing issues of life. And he was very patient with me as I've been many times when I'm trying to lead something and somebody makes a suggestion to me <laughs> on how they think things are supposed to be done. But I said, I really do feel impressed. Lord, he was very kind and patient, said, I don't know if we're going to have time for that today. And I just remember feeling so convinced that we were supposed to pray for this, that I went to the, the very back of the room 
And if you hear nothing else from this story, prayer really matters to God. And I was getting ready to start small group prayer in the parking lot. I was going to do the full on John the Baptist. I was just going to go out into the lobby of the church and say, hey, we're not supposed to leave until we pray for this issue. Anybody who wants to pray, pray with me. Because I was so compelled that this was something that God wanted. He wanted this. And I really, it wouldn't, the conviction of it would not let loose of my soul. And as I'm standing in the back of the room getting ready to pretty much make a fool of myself, um, as much as I could while within the bounds of submission and appropriateness, uh, the, the leader gets up in the front of the room and he says, One of our, we said at the beginning of this prayer meeting we wanted to do whatever was on God's agenda. And he said, one of our trusted intercessors just came and he said, we should not leave this meeting without addressing issues of life. And there was a young man who came and told me the same thing. And, I, and he said, I didn't pay attention to you, young man, wherever you are. I want to apologize to you. And would you come up here real quick and lead us in prayer over this issue? And so I'm from the wilderness now <laughs> up on the center stage. And, uh, and I'm standing there. And this, this uh, intercessor, this older woman begins to pray and repent for passing the legacy of abortion, for not finishing the work in her generation and passing that on to my generation and just began to say how sorry she was uh, for, for, the, for the generational curse of death that she was passing the younger generation. And she repented to me and uh, on behalf of the older generation to the younger. And I just remember I had this moment where it felt like I was caught up before the throne and my eyes were closed and I remember the Lord speaking to me. And he asked me a question and asked me to make a commitment to him. And when he spoke to me in that moment of prayer, he said, will you stand for this issue, which is on my heart, the sanctity, the holiness of the human life that I knit together in the womb? Will you stand for it no matter how unpopular it is, no matter what the cost might be? No matter how embarrassed you might be or misunderstood you might be. And all I could do was just, I just crumpled onto my knees. I just said, yes, Lord, I commit by the grace of God to stand for this and to not forget this issue that is so important to your heart, no matter where I go in ministry. And so we haven't preached a message on the issue of life or had a conversation on the issue of life in quite some time. But I was reminded today, and I wanted to say today, go on the record publicly to say, we will always stand for the sanctity of human life as Gate City Church. We will not compromise on this issue. We will not be quiet about it. We will be faithful to pray about it, to speak about it, and to do it with humility, clarity, and compassion from the place of prayer. And so I just wanted to share that story because I have no personal testimony, but God marked my heart in a moment and put something in my life and in my story that I'll never shake loose of by the grace of God. And so thank you for letting me share that with you. I, I sit here today fully convinced of what God's heart is on this issue. And I just want to agree with him and his word. Amen. I don't know how to segue from that story. Uh, Rolando, to you, my friend. On that point. Um, thanks for sharing, Hazen. Yeah. Um, as I'm listening to you, 
I was reminded of myself standing at, on Washington, at the mall at Washington, D.C. 22 years ago, not knowing when I, I just saw, I just saw a brochure come to Washington, D.C. I'd never been. I was 19 years old. I'd never been. And it said a couple popular Christian names on there. Uh, we grabbed four guys and we just, four people, we drove up to whatever, how many hours. And then I get out and that was the first time I heard, I think there was 400,000 people that showed up. I thought I was going to a concert, honestly, at 19. What we showed up to was a all day of prayer and fasting. So that there, there went our food for the day. And I remember hearing from the pulpit, uh, a gentleman named Lou Engel for the first time, clearly, to clearly speak against um, abortion and to talk about how God is about life. And I've never heard it in the context of a Christian circle that way, growing up in a, um, you know, um, not a political thing, but it's something God's for. And I was reminded of my own life that my mother tells a story that uh, she, um, I was going to be aborted. And my mother went to the clinic, was dropped off, and by the grace of God, there was a nurse there who convinced her not to do it. And so when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God who she is, and I'm going to give her the biggest hug in the world because my children and their children uh, are part of her fruit of that conversation she had. So I, I want to share that to say this, that God is desiring to give life. From before we were, before we're delivered, the word says that he knits us together in Psalms 139, which means we were part of his imagination, his supernatural imagination before we were born. He knows us. He, he knows who we are. He knows your personalities. But it doesn't just stop there. He's for life when you're alive as well. And Jesus says, I come to give life and life abundantly. In context, is speaking about salvation, but also speaking in the reality that as we're alive, we're supposed to find our life in him. But it's not just from the womb to the tomb, because then there's life after the tomb. Isaiah 2 says that we're going to be going to Mount Zion and learning from Jesus. Uh, and there's life on the other. My point is that Jesus is for life. And so we have, uh, my wife will share a little bit practically some things that we've done. Uh, what we've been convicted as I was growing up, I always saw the church as the answer or even government as the answer. And there are answers in those things. But there was a personal conviction to the thing that God was calling me to, to not just say it and do it and check off the box, but that I, even in my place, outside of me being a pastor, outside of the work that I do, that we personally take responsibility in how we can uh, talk about the sanctity of life in the context of abortion to give life, but also when people are alive that need help. But then also there is a place that people go to after they die here, which is a life in Christ. And so it's seeing the whole gambit of life and how God desires life and connecting with his heart and doing what we can do in the place that we're in to promote God's desire for life from, again, the womb to the tomb and beyond. I mean, I'm not sure if that's a good transition. I think it's a great transition. Transition, but... Uh, I've never heard you share that story. Thank you for really? sharing that mm. so vulnerably with us this morning. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, so early in our marriage, we spent time discussing, you know, how are we going to be a part of the solution? Like, how can we help out? And, you know, we got married in our early 20s, and there was a woman that we met who her husband had passed away, and she had two little, two children. And Rolando and I prayed about it, and we were like, we really felt like the Lord pretty much marked us to minister to her as a single mom. Um, and we just kind of said, we don't know what we're doing. We don't have kids, but we, we, we want to be a part of the solution. Mm-hmm. It's very trying. Honey, did you want to share anything? Yeah, we, we continue? Yeah. T- to be blunt, I thought we were signing up for an event. 
let's help paint the house Do and we can go home work. and go, we helped. Was yeah. that the thing you were doing or was there That's, something? There was could... actually a, she was moving. She was moving. And I just thought, you know, we, the words, we need to help the widow. So I personally, I said, let's go help her. And I was, I think I was 21 or 22, just thinking we, we, we did it. We, we helped her move. How Je- Jehovah sneaky works. He just will sneak up on you <laughs> and stuff. Eh? Not realizing that that was not, God was not calling us to an event. That's right. He was calling us to a, a lifestyle um, to serve community mm-hmm. to serve this woman and her journey. And it was not easy. It was difficult. Um, in that time of serving her, we walked through one of the hardest things that we've ever walked through. And it was when her son passed away. Um, you know, you feel like I'm going to come in and be a hero, maybe, you know, by helping and serving. That's what you feel like. But then in that moment, you go, okay, God, what are you asking me to do? How do I serve this woman in this painful time? And in our being vulnerable with each other and the Lord, the Lord actually really knitted us together with that woman. Um, And some of you may be thinking, you know, a lot of the times we think, okay, we want to help support life. And we think about let's adopt. I just want to challenge everybody to go home and pray about it. What does that look like? Maybe for you, it could be adoption, but also how can we help the single mom, the single dad that's out there? Um, You know, we come before the Lord and we pray, we pray for one another. We pray for the, you know, for life, for people to you know, choose life, and we pray for single moms and dads to to find answers and to get those resources. We also go to the polls and and we vote, right? You know, these are very good things that we do, but also we have to ask the Lord, how do you actually physically want me to be involved? Um, In the Bible, in James, I think it's James 1, it says, he says, be doers of the word. So what does that look like for you? It may not look like what it looked like for us and how we make a stance. You know, we will always cheer for the single single mom. Uh, It hits my husband very close to home. And after walking through that, that testimony with that woman, I mean, it's something that we're never going to let go, but I just want to say to you today, what does that look like? Maybe you haven't considered it, but the Lord invites us to be part of that story by telling us to be doers. Yeah, we, we, we didn't sign up for, it was years, 20 plus years we've been in a relationship, and now she's blessing my children. So before we had children, we were trying to support her, and, and just, we didn't know what to do many times, but just to love and support but now you know, where she's at in place. She's blessing our children and just seeing how God is using that uh, in a beautiful circle of life. I guess she's quoting the Lion King in some ways, but uh, I don't know if that was appropriate there, but uh, that's what Only if you sing it. You got to sing it now. (laughs) All right. So... So just to recap, because we wanted to open talking about issues of life and the thing that was really burning on Olivia's heart was... You know, we open talking about the value of praying on these things, and really everything in our life begins in the place of prayer. Yeah. And then our prayers become action as we become the incarnation of God's heart and the things that we've gained in the place of prayer. And you guys made a beautiful commitment to say part of our extension of how we, how we love and walk out our value for life is we care for the, we care for the, the, the widow, we care for the single mom, 
And that's just a, a conviction and value. But then circling back now, transitioning the conversation on politics, Ash, anything you want to share? Yep. So I want to say something real quick because I got a question about um, how do singles kind of engage with uh, the issues of life? And how can we practically bring it home because they may not have the season of life to be uh, very active. Maybe they're still searching out what it means to vote and be responsible with that. And I just want to say to singles, um, if you don't have a family yet, different things like that, one of the best things that you can do is the, use the scripture that we've been focusing and honing in on in Ephesians and live a holy life. Like I'm going to give you the practical pastoral thing. Enjoy living holy. And so, you know, when it comes to uh, reserving yourself and reserving the beauty of uh, the, the intimate act of sex, uh, discover the beauty of that and what that should be like in marriage and show your friends that and show the holy example of what's possible. And if you've already stepped out and haven't done that, then redeem it and move forward with it. And you cannot uh, minimize how practical and how wonderful that is. Because for us as Christians, if we're struggling with these things and other Christians see us struggling with our um, level of um, sexual immorality, then we can cause someone else to stumble and they end up in the position where they're having to make a difficult choice. So the practicality of enjoying living a holy life in your uh, sexual morality right now cannot be understated for a single. So good. So we were going to pitch the question to you. Okay, we talk about lifestyle, right? Living a holy life, how to commit to personal purity, living a life that's generous towards people in need and the most vulnerable. These are practical ways that we live out the things we express in prayer and carry in our heart from the Lord. Now let's go back to the question of civic responsibility and the issue of politics. What does it look like as we have a life that is aligned with the word to actually engage with the political sphere as a Christian? Yeah, I, I would say that um, there's a lot of room for personal conviction. And so that's what you talked about in one of your first messages. Is, um, just because someone else doesn't quite enact the same way that we live out our conviction to uh, have our civic responsibility um, doesn't mean that they're not doing the right thing. So the Holy Spirit can speak to us to very distinct ways in how we operate in our civic responsibility. Scripture tells us that we should... Um, honor uh, our government tells us what government is for to uphold what is good and to push against what is evil and so when you have a place of uh, where it has a mixture of like a country like America that just has a mixtured and checkered past right like many of us do as human beings we have mixtured checkered past that aren't perfect so our responsibility is the same thing that we would hold responsible to a person who has a mix mixtured and checkered past is to pray for them and uh, the Bible gives us that responsibility in Timothy of uh, pray for the, your governmental leaders and those who are in authority so that way we can lead a quiet and peaceable life. So that's God's desire for us, even though we're not in a fully um, uh, fully uh, absorbed and, and functioning kingdom reality where we're going to be in the next age. So we have the responsibility as ambassadors to love the land that we're in. I even think about, we were talking about it pre-service with um, Jeremiah, and it was prophesied to when the uh, children of Israel were going to be moved into Babylon. Uh, it, Jeremiah said, the Lord says that when I place you here, you should actually pray for the land of Babylon. And Babylon being one of the most wicked kingdoms that had ever touched the earth, God still says, 
I want you to pray for that land and seek for the peace of it. And so we don't have to have necessarily this uh, sense of uh, uh, doting affection for America, but we do have the responsibility of Christians to be ambassadors that look for peace in our land and for it to look like the kingdom of God. It's great. I love that you bring up the reference of Babylon because it makes me think of Daniel as a model of civic engagement. Daniel was a governmental leader. He was, he was critical in three administrations, and God called him in each transition to play a key, a key role, you know, under Nebuchadnezzar, under Nebuchadnezzar's predecessor, and then he prophesies in the, the, basically the, the change of government. And I, I think it's interesting because even as you were sharing about people that uh, have different political, can have different political allegiances, but actually uh, are walking out the call of God on their lives. I happen to have a relationship with two different people that have served uh, in, in the White House. They're uh, by relational affiliation through other people. Um, but they, one served under a Republican president, one served under a Democrat president. And I got to hear the story of how they ended up serving in the White House. And without question, when you hear the testimony, there's no doubt that God placed the person who is a godly person within a Democratic administration to serve in the White House as an intern at the time. And then this other person, without question, God raised them up to serve within a Republican administration within the White House. And you go, you know, God will raise up the Daniels and put them in whatever place he wants to put them to serve his purpose. And you see, like uh, we've talked about during the messages, you see Daniel come to a place where he has holy disobedience that puts him in a place to uh, put himself at risk. But that's different than going out proactively for civil uh, disruption. And the Bible doesn't affirm that, but it does affirm a sense of holy disobedience that allows you to speak truth to power, like John the Baptist did, but while still honoring the person that's put in place by God at the same time. That's good. That's great. So summarizing this little portion, we pray for those in authority and we make a commitment, a, a true heartfelt commitment to do that. We live a lifestyle of obedience to the word of God. And then from that place of obedience, we engage civically with voting, serving, supporting candidates, doing all the things of civic life while at the same time being uncompromising in biblical values. And does that sometimes require tension and mess? Absolutely. And Hannah, that was something you kept coming to is the messiness sometimes of being a person of a different point of view amongst affiliations with other people of different point of view. Uh, If we could just real quick, all the Democrats in the room, raise your hand, all the Republicans, I'm just kidding. But there's no question, right, that we have an affiliation at Gate City Church, just real talk, right, that I'm sure there are some Democrats in the room and I'm sure there's some Republicans in the room and there's a new third party coming out I'm looking into. I'm not going to give it a plug right now. But but there's a messiness in that we are spiritual family, right? We're putting allegiance to Jesus first, but then... You know, there's an ability to be a Christian and be a Democrat, right? And be a Christian and be a Republican, right? And so how do we do that in community and in family? Yeah, this is when we start feeling, I feel like, the personal tension. And I think one, one amazing platform where we were able to kind of really pray with in bipartisan spaces was our experience with One Race Movement where we'd actually be going to worship services, prayer events, praying in small group prayer, and we're praying in, under the common banner of Jesus, 
under the gospel, and that is, we are very gospel-centric, but you feel the tension when someone's political ideologies are coming out and the way you're praying, and you're praying with them, and it just becomes, it's, you can't just say, have a us and them mentality anymore, because there are God-loving Republicans, and there are God-loving Democrats, and like Ash said, I think it's so important, there's a true personal conviction in what our, our expression of our faith looks like, and there's, there's a wider, I think, field goal than, than we would like there to be sometimes. We would like it to be clear, more clear-cut and simple, but it's not. So to be willing to engage in those spaces where you're with genuine believers who are believing politically different than you, there takes such humility, such courage to be able to push past the fear of, okay, we, we think differently on these things, but we have this common bond in Christ. And it's just so essential to be willing to engage in those spaces and embrace the mess that comes with that. And what, yeah, go ahead, Rolando. Um, I, I was, uh, so you mentioned young singles in a little bit. As a parent, my, my son is 17. He's, he'll be 18 soon. And I remember we had this conversation about politics at home. And um, as a 17, well, who should I vote for? That was the response. Because we've, parent, we've parented our kids. Who should I vote for? I remember at that moment, the Holy Spirit just quickening in my heart that what I needed to minister to him and, and with my daughter is that there is, it really is the tension. There's a grapple uh, in politics about what does God think about this? And I don't think enough people grapple with God uh, in their heart you know, before we just go do the, the thing that we think needs to be done. Like, press that button. That's what I believe in. But I believe the church, as believers, we're called to grapple with culture to what he actually believes. And I think sometimes that's why some of that tension comes up because we have so, we believe this is what God says, and then we think this person is representing God. Um, and what I'm simply saying is I want to invite the church, I want to invite us to grapple in prayer with the Lord about what really is on his heart about issues, um, to let that settle in your heart and not to try to be evangelist for my, um, for my political party. Let's be an evangelist for the Lord. Amen. And sometimes people are called within a political system of affiliation with people that don't share your point of view to be advocates for the, for the Lord and for the culture of his kingdom. And so what I don't want us to hear in this conversation is that we ever stop pressing within whatever party we might affiliate with for God's will and God's way to be done. And how many of you know neither party is fully God's party, right? Neither party is fully reflective of the kingdom of God. So there's room for everybody to grow and for everybody to be a champion of God's will and God's way within whatever space God calls you. I thought you had something. All right, good. Well, then we will go back to the outline for where we go to next. It feels so common here right now. Why don't we just talk about, why don't y'all just talk about the last political conversation y'all had at your Thanksgiving meal, and we can, just, we can just springboard from that into a much messier, less calm conversation. It's messy. I mean, I, with my family, we, we have, we're very opinionated people, and we love to no. talk about our opinions. But I think I found it as an opportunity to see how, uh, how much am I growing in my relationship with Christ when I can listen to someone who disagrees with me. 
or that is um, in opposition to the word of God. Because I love Jesus, man. Like he was just so confident with the people that he was talking to. And so he was really most uh, direct and, um, and, and just difficult with the people who were religious more than he was difficult with the people who believed differently than he did. And he was able to engage in conversations. And I'm like, I, I want to be able to do that. And so I just prayed for that wisdom to be able to have the conversations with the family members that really are on opposite sides of things that I think are uh, fundamental to scripture. And so use that as an opportunity to say, Lord, how can I really be you in front of them right now and look past uh, being right to looking to be Jesus and look at someone in the eyes and be the heart of Christ? Um, so I remember there was a marriage uh, seminar and there was one takeaway that I'll carry with me the rest of my life. And I think it applies to a lot of different spaces. They said, you can be topically right, but relationally wrong. Who knows what I'm talking about in this room where you go, um, it, the example that they gave is you're at Dairy Queen and there's a $5 Sunday. You've gone on a date with your wife and, you know, you're doing a, a special time to get a dessert. And then you say as a husband, $5, has anybody seen inflation prices right now? It's like $15 Sunday, $15 for a smoothie. And then she thinks this never happened. This is a completely fabricated scenario, but she just, she thinks well, am I not worth $15? And then you begin to explain. No, I was just commenting on, on the price of the, the... And in that moment, you are topically right. The smoothie is $15, but you are relationally wrong. And the ability, exactly what you were just saying about how we respond to people that disagree with us in, in conflict is you can be right on your point of view. You can even be biblically right. You can be holding the Lord's opinion on something, but you can be relationally wrong. You can be arrogant, proud, mean-spirited, all the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit, right? And so we want to carry not just the mind of the Lord on things, and from the Scripture, we want to carry the heart of the Lord. Amen. Good. I'll just amen good. myself. Good that job, Jason. All right. Good. So now we want to take a moment, balance of our time, and transition to, uh, to a lighter topic, how we spend our money. So <laughs> just take it down a notch from the intensity of the political conversation. Uh, and Hannah, you wanted to open this segment up by sharing a little bit of our experience last summer uh, living in northern Kenya. Yeah, we had the amazing opportunity last summer to, to spend seven weeks in northern Kenya where the lifestyle was much simpler than here in America. And I think it was such a gift because really for the first time, it just became clear to me, not only, I mean, living in America is a blessing. I think we can all acknowledge that there's benefits and blessings we receive as American citizens. But being in Africa was the first time I was really confronted with actually there's great challenge that comes and living wholeheartedly for Jesus in America because of the huge amount of excess there is that is constantly surrounding us and filling us and just so easily available. So as we found, it took a few weeks just to detox off of the American plenty that we were used to. But my family, we all came into this rhythm of enjoying the simple pleasures, 
feeling so much more gratitude there than we do here in America for the things, the provision that God gave us for food and shelter and, and the things that we were able to have became so much richer. And I was shocked because I found the longer we stayed in a simpler country, a simpler lifestyle, the more clear my thinking became, the more clear my spirit came. There's this sharpness and clarity and this connection to the life of God. And I was, I've never felt so alive. And it's from, it was from having less. And so it was just so amazing. And then when we returned to America, it was immediately, I, I would tell people, I was like, I feel like my face and my ears and my eyes are just getting stuffed with cotton candy. It's just from all sides. They're just so much excess, so much plenty. And you're like forcing through. And I'm like, I have to stay sharp. I have to like keep this clarity. And it's actually harder to do in America than it is in a third world nation. And like, I'd be like, Lord, just send us because it's easier. And he's like, no, daughter, the challenge that I've given you is to maintain that sharpness of spirit, that connection to me here, where it's actually more challenging because you have to say no so much. So mention a few ways, because there were a few ways that the Lord, just make it real practical for people, invited us into a more fasted lifestyle to push back on a few things after we had that season. I know I put you on the spot <laughs> just now. I may have been topically right, but relationally wrong <laughs> just then, I'm, if you have any. I mean, so we did decide, you know, we came back and we prayerfully assessed, like, how are we spending our money? What are some ways that we want to adjust and change that? And we made some real practical choices about how much, what our, our budget was for certain things and deciding not to go beyond those budgets anymore and embracing the simplicity of life here. That was one thing. For me personally, I, I took, actually took up running as a habit because that's actually something voluntarily suffering, some, like something hard to do <laughs> that reminds me like life is not easy and it, it's not meant to be. And we're actually, when we agree with the voluntary suffering, whether it's through fasting one or two days a week or exercising or loving people that are hard to love around us, you know, we're actually submitting our flesh to Christ. We finished a fast last week. I'm about to cash in all my poor kids' rewards in heaven. But, they, uh, but they, they, we prayed together as a family, and we decided we were going to fast sweets for a few weeks. And so we did that together as a family. And then we had quite a time. Everybody got their own bag of candy, and we all ate a bunch of candy on Friday night. <laughs> but just so you guys don't think we're causing our kid, you know, any undue uh, suffering. But it was really good for them to have to, when they normally would reach dinner and then, and then, you know, we would go to normally dessert time to begin to even put the practice in at their young age of just, of just pushing back on uh, the opportunity that we have culturally to always uh, enjoy more. And just to take a moment and say, we're going to consciously not enjoy more and we're going to try and enjoy more of the Lord in the, things that we, in the things that we do together. And so those are small ways that we can even begin to press into that. That's something practical. If you've never fasted as a family, you can ask the Lord, think about ways, and not just fasting food, fasting media, fasting a variety of, of different things. I know for us when we, so one of the most exciting times was having, having our kids. And I remember, I don't know, maybe three years, Joel was maybe three, 
just looking at them and going, wow, you know, you want to give your children everything, right? And when they're little, you buy them all kinds of toys, you know, educational toys. You, you buy them things to, you know, to help them learn and grow. But I remember there was this moment where I think it was Christmas. And then there's the struggle of how much is too much. You want to buy for them. You want to bless them. But we really prayed and we were like, God, help us to train our kids not to be just materialistic and asking for everything just because, oh, well, Johnny just got this new transformer. I want one too. And we were really just asking God, how do we raise our kids to not be focused on the material things? Because we know that when we go to the grocery store even, even in the grocery store, we see magazines and ads for get the latest, greatest, the brand new, do this and you'll look this way. And we really felt like one of the answers to that was getting our kids to experience a missions trip. And so we, when they were maybe third or fourth and second grade, we took a trip and we went out of the country and our kids had never seen lack like that before. So, but like to what you were saying, Hannah, even though we were in a third world country and there was lots of lack, my kids got to see, but there was so much abundance and other ways to enjoy. Um, you know, we are here in this country and we have a lot of resources. There is abundance, but we wanted to make sure that we taught our kids that with that responsibility, with that, all of the resources, you know, how is God asking us to give? And, you know, our kids, our, their eyes were opened up on, through that experience of going, wow, we do have a lot. Um, we do have friends that have more than enough, and just because they have more than enough doesn't mean that we have to ask for all that extra stuff as well. So, honey, do you have anything you want to add? Yeah, I, I think um, from our upbringing, we wanted to be careful not to overcorrect yes. and say for Christmas we're going to give all this stuff. I don't think our kids here know enough, by the way. <laughs> um, like when we were kids, we only saw the catalog, but I can't imagine being a child today. There are whole TV stations geared for children, <laughs> websites geared for children, right. and marketing companies know that. And so they're watching a 15-minute show with 20 minutes or another 15 minutes of commercials of the latest, greatest things. So I think it's so important that um, the principles that we're learning, that we find ways in God to transfer that over or to minister to our children. Because what's most important, the latest, greatest, and listen, we have normal kids. It's not like we've got this thing figured out. Like we're, we're still having to go, no, we're not gonna get, I can't imagine paying that kind of money for those pairs of shoes. No, we're not gonna do that, you know, we're not. And we have to bring it back to the word as to why, because it's easy to answer the surface. No, we're not doing that, but we've got to look underneath as to the heart and why. And could you say even just in a, in a sentence, if you were to say, this is the why that we've given our children, and then I wanna pivot for a moment and, and speak to single people who are setting up the culture of their families and, and how they spend money and those kinds of things for the future in their singleness. But before we get to that, what, what would you say to your kids? The, the why? Yeah, what's the why? I, what's think, I think for, for us... And Ash, if you want to respond to them <sighs> after they... Or maybe save Rolando if he doesn't have the why yet. I was going to immediately go, it's like, for us, the why is it has everything to do with relationship with Jesus. We're living in a country that's, that is it's furthering itself away from, the, from who Christ is as a, as a group. 
And our children, one of the one of the ways the enemy gets that, and not just children, but in people, it's material. Self, it's finding our finding things that are met by what we do, and re not realizing that intimacy with God is everything. And heaven's resources are greater than earthly resources. So our, the why that we do this has to do with our relationship and their relationship with Jesus Christ. Something we said in our meeting, we said we set boundaries on our consumption for wisdom's sake. And I thought I that's a. That. I think you said it. I said that. No, I don't. Know. Oh no, I didn't Hannah say that. said it. My <laughs> wife said it. That's really good. That's good. And so we got it here. But I think that applies well to what you just said. For the sake of loving Jesus, yeah. we're going to set boundaries on something that left unchecked. Materialism will draw your heart away from the Lord because you cannot serve two masters. Mm -hmm. You'll either love one or hate the other. And so the other reason why is the next age is going to be dope. I mean, like our God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. You know, he has streets paved with gold. And there's a, a emerald rainbow jewel dome above his throne like he's not lacking by any terms of what he has awaiting his children and so when we limit ourselves by the uh temporary things of this age we're just kind of settling for less really and so you know we we the apostolic message of pastoring based on the blessed hope in the appearing of jesus is is really the distinct reason why you know paul says that if if the resurrection is not something real, then we should be pitied among all men. And we should just call this thing a sham and then just uh, eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Mm. And so I don't think that we can um, uh, think too little about the way the next age is going to be and how much fun we're going to have for eternity with God. That eat, drink, and tomorrow will die, you know, there's a, a phrase that the kids say called YOLO, you only live once, and the reality is... We're probably like two phrases behind by now, though. Yeah, I know. That's probably like old man <laughs> I was going to say, that phrase is about a generation old, old days. Old, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm old, My kids I'm think YOLO is ice cream. But, you know, <laughs> you only live once, but the reality is we actually should live not like we're only going to live once. We should live like we're planning to live forever. And what we gather, what we gather in this earth you know, the most that we can gather in this earth that we can't even carry on into the next age, the most we can gather, it's the dust of the streets in that, in that place, all the gold you could amass here. Did you have something you wanted to, to say? Okay. You neither? All right, good. Well, I feel like that actually, you were talking about how you set the culture as your family. I wanted to go to this point on single people, young people, making career choices, how you're going to spend your money. The reality is what you do right now, living on ramen noodles with $10 in your bank account, it will actually determine like how, how you steward in your lack will determine how you steward when God adds to you, right? And also there's a certain pressure that lack brings because there's unprecedented opportunity in our, in our nation, but in the pursuit of opportunity, that can also draw your heart away from the Lord. And I felt like you had a powerful testimony, Olivia, even in your own life of your experience as a young person wrestling through that same thing. Yes. So, um, I did experience lack. I actually got kicked out at 17, um, was homeless for a while, but got a great relationship with the Lord. And I want to say maybe I was around 22, I believe. I got a really good job um, 
and I remember having this really good job. I was actually working in Buckhead. I was working for one of the fastest growing um, technical recruiting agencies in the nation. And I just remember walking through that place. You know, there's the expensive cars. I'm sitting here in this high rise building. I've got this awesome job. And I remember being kicked out and being told things like, you're never gonna make it. You're never gonna be good enough. You're just gonna end up uh, being homeless, a single mom, nothing that you do will ever be good enough. And I remember just sitting there and thinking about that and kind of sitting there going, you know, I made it. Jesus is Lord. I gave my life to Jesus and he's blessed me. And I remember going, okay, we're about to get married. And then I decided I'm going to put that job aside. My husband was actually working construction and he was making really good money as well. If we had put our money together, I was thinking, oh man, that would have been really good six figure number. But okay, Jesus, I'm gonna quit my job and I'm gonna go work for the church, which you know, I wasn't making that much. I actually started off being a receptionist, but I was going, my husband's got a good job. Can you just tell us what was the pay drop from what you had <laughs> down to, was it half? Was it 50%? It was, was a it? quarter. A quarter. Quarter. Okay. It was a big pay drop. Um, um, so to follow the Lord, you had to, to follow what the Lord was saying in your heart, you had to give up 25% of your income. Yes, I did. But you know, I had Rolando's income to fall back on. Praise this God. Is what right? I'm thinking, right? So I'm like, okay, when we get married, I can quit working for the ministry. Rolando's salary is more than enough that, that two people need. And even if we have kids, we'll be fine. We were actually looking at building a house. It was going to be amazing. I'm just thinking, I'm so excited, right? I'm 23, so the world is ahead of me. And um, probably about two months before we get married, Rolando gets offered a job at the church. Now, you would think that I'd be like, yes, the Lord called me into ministry. I know he did. I went to Bible school. I didn't go to college. I went to Bible school, right? I really felt like I'm giving my all for the Lord. And then this opportunity comes for Rolando to say yes. And he said yes. And I said, no. <laughs> no, what are you doing? <laughs> You can't say yes. Do you know how much you... We both can't say yes. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. And I mean, and he was shocked. I mean, I want to say that I said the right response, but Rolando was shocked. Like, what do you mean? Like, this is what we talked about. But I had to wrestle with the, you're never going to be good enough. You're never going to have enough. You're just going to be basically cursed. She, the, the family member cursed me, Right. And so I had to go, wow, I didn't even realize this junk was in here. So in my trying to follow the Lord and then going, wow, look at what he's given me, I had to realize that I was actually falling, falling into that pit trap of choosing earthly things and choosing material, materials. And I really had to confess that and lay it down. And yeah. God and bless him. I just want to him. say that we both knew we were going to be called into ministry. So not everyone's called into ministry. Right. And so that was, you know, when we made that decision. I, when I was offered the job, I said yes and was so excited. <laughs> My pastor said, don't you know how much you make? And I just assumed at 18, 19 years old that everyone made about the same. And then he goes, you should probably hear what we're going to give you. <laughs> and so I sat back down and he gave me the number. And for me, it was half, half a pay cut. 
uh, completely. And so, uh, so between your two yeses, you lost 75% of your household income. Income, just like yes. that, overnight. Yeah. But um, any regrets? No. Well, no. I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> no. Say why. So Hebrews 13 says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Every time we've had a need, every time we had lack, guess what? God took that from us and gave us something more than, more than enough. And in that journey of being obedient, he really has come through and showed strong. He has everything that we could ever want ever need. So, yes, that's the why. I just feel the Lord highlighting y'all's testimony here, and I, I just have a sense that there's some of you in the room who are contemplating vocational changes and really counting the cost of what obedience to Christ could require for you. And I just want you to hear this as a witness and a testimony that obedience is worth it. It's always worth it. And, and that both testimonies are beautiful. There's an obedience to be able to um, be earn as much as God allows you to earn, and that could be millions yet billions of dollars. But the way that you uh, live out an active lifestyle of generosity, what the Bible calls everyone to, whether you're in lack or whether you're in a position of more than enough, um, is the place to be. And so while there may be need to be the sacrifices where we choose to give up the opportunities that are available to us, there are the sacrifices to say that I'm going to earn as much as possible and live a generous lifestyle that matches the lifestyle of my king. Amen. Amen. So as you were saying, I, I resonated with that as well, that there may be some people here who are in a, a moment of decision or transition, and, and you are in a place where you need God to show up for you. And it may be that you need God to show up for you and take you into a, a, a place of increase, yeah. or maybe a place where you need God to show up for you and help you manage a, a transition and a change where you're not going to have as much opportunity as you did before. We actually had a closing scripture that we wanted to read. I think it's fitting for this ministry time. Let's actually stand together. We're going to take a moment. And if you feel like that's for you, I want to, we're going to pray over everyone, pray together just in a moment, dedicating our hearts to these values. But if you feel like that word is for you, I just want to invite you to raise your, raise your hand. Okay. And so just keep your hands raised. Just raise your hands in a posture of just surrender before the Lord. And then as we scan the room, I'm going to pray for you individually. Just as my eyes fall, I'm just going to ask the Lord. So just keep those hands raised and we're going to pray and join our faith with what God is doing in your life. Hannah, read that scripture over us. Yes, ask just refer to it from Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens yes. me. Yes, so we just declare, Lord, we declare that you are the God through whom we do all things, that you are the one who strengthens us. 
in the challenges of both plenty and in the challenges of lack, in the, in the unique difficulties of excess and in the difficulties that abasement presents. Father, we pray for each person in a moment of transition and decision right now that they would have confidence that you are their strength, that you are their good shepherd, that you are their good father, that you are the one who provides for them. You know everything they need, emotionally, spiritually, materially. And God, you are the one who makes a way where there is no way, God. And so we pray, Lord, that you would direct their steps to every purpose you have for them. And I just pray from the right side of the room to the left, Lord, release blessing, 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 blessing. Lord, the blessing of meekness, poverty of spirit, the blessing, Lord, of provision, the blessing of solution and wisdom, the blessing of open doors, the blessing that God alone can supply, the blessing of his face smiling upon you, the blessing that you would walk in priestliness in every circumstance and that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we pray for everyone in this room, for our whole spiritual family, that Jesus would be our everything, Lord. That we would prioritize you and what's on your heart and what you've asked us to do in our lives. That there would be nothing more important than devotion to you, Jesus. And we ask as we seek first your kingdom and its righteousness, let everything we need be supplied. We just release that We release that faith in the room, Lord, that as the kingdom is sought, Lord, that everything that is needed is truly supplied. Asha Sense, do you have anything you want to pray? That's great. So, Father, we pray for people on the live stream as well. If you're at home and you're watching this right now, we ask, God, that you just release your anointing upon them. Lord, we pray that you would, every word that was spoken over the people in this room, we pray, Lord, you break poverty off of people, a poverty mindset. You can be wealthy and have a poverty mindset. Lord, we pray that you would break a poverty mindset off of people and we would see uh, the abundance that the kingdom, freedom, freedom in the name of Jesus from the bondage to materialism. And we pray we would see you as a good father. Olivia, yeah. I just sense, just as, or Ash, either one of you, I just feel like someone else should pray. I um, just want to pray into those who are in the season of, of lack. Um, there can be this place of entitlement that I deserve more. And I've been in that place personally before, um, just experiencing the generational struggles of my family and being like, God, I, I should have more than this. So I just want to pray against that and pray for the spirit of sonship to disrupt that uh, scheme of, of thought. Father, we love you. You are a good father. You are a good father. And you provide everything that we need. There's no burden that you put on us that is more than we can bear. So Lord, I pray that you just deliver us deliver us from an entitled spirit. Help us see the glory of who we are as children of God, where you withheld nothing from us. And you've given all things to us, and you've given us the best treasure of your son. And that speaks of the value and the worth that you have for us, Lord. 
the value and the worth of what you think about us, that you gave us the very blood of your son that breaks through all the, everything that comes against the knowledge of God around life, everything that comes against the knowledge of God around materialism and politics, Lord. Let us see the beauty of Jesus, the blood of Christ, and how to be the truest sense of the church in our culture. Living for another age, living for another day, enjoying holiness and consecration. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. I want to uh, invite the altar team, if you wouldn't mind coming up here and just making yourself available. Um, I'm going to take a minute to close the service, uh, but if you're maybe desiring to find a little bit more ministry for someone to pray for you, uh, these amazing volunteers are here to to, to listen to you, to lay hands on you, to pray for you. Also, if you're still in the room and you raised your hand earlier when Hannah gave an invitation to reconnect your heart with the Lord or to make a first-time decision, the altar team is here. We would love to pray with you as well. Yeah, well, Father, it's, we just come in agreement with who you are, with your ways, your word, Lord Father. And so we understand that things can get a little messy, but that doesn't mean that you leave us. Give us grace upon grace to serve one another, to help one another, and to glorify you in all that we do. In the matchless name of Jesus, amen. 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 Blessings. God bless you, Gate City.